This is ASI, episode 137. Pressure. This is too much. I can't do it. I took you here. I took you here for a reason. I can't deal with this. I can't deal with this. I can't deal with this. I am your host, Russ Shaw. The website is ASI247.org. excited about doing this show today because I've been wanting to cover this subject for a long time, going through the Decalogue, right, the Ten Commandments, and this this subject is attached to that Tenth Commandment, which is, uh, right, Exodus 20, verse 17, um, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his maidservant, nor his manservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. All right? Don't covet your neighbor's ass. I'm sorry. That's juvenile. I know. Had to throw that in there. King James Version, right? Going to go to the King James. Love the King James Version sometimes, right? The English is uh, a little outdated. But uh, anyway... <laughs> Moving on, um, ACDC, th- this song, check this out, hold on, first of all, let me get, I'm going way ahead of myself, I'm sorry, alright, back up, um, my name is Russ Shaw, the email address is russ at asi247.org, right, that's my email address, if you want to get a hold of me, um, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, all of that contact information can be found on the website, asi247.org, there's a bunch of resources there, other podcasts you can listen to, um, there's there's just a lot of stuff, right, if you look at recover from sexual addiction, if you've got sexual integrity issues, if you're dealing with, right, these things, right, this desire, whatever it is that's in your heart, that's pulling you away from family and what you know and you know uh, right sexual integrity a big deal nowadays man in the news almost weekly some politician or or celebrity is is falling to sexual integrity issues and I have fallen to that as well and that's why I do this show because I love you guys and I've been through it and uh right this is the way come on the way out Let's show. Let me let me put up a big 
pointy sign with with an arrow and, and lights all right so that's why i do this this podcast um anyway back to the the subject the topic um that song highway to hell right i know that some of you right it just popped up in your head that oh my gosh russ is playing satanic music now right russ relax all right i don't worship satan all right can i we just i know i know all right chill all right highway to hell um there's a lot of people so we've got an 80s theme to the to the show today so so just chillax all right a little bit maybe get out your your mullet wig and and listen to the show and just just hear me out all right um back in the 80s this song came out and it was part of this whole kind of right rock and roll is satanic i mean seriously i don't know how anybody really got to know jesus in the 80s or especially hurting jacked up people <laughs> because there was just a lot of this kind of you know, really nice, you know, clean white, wear your suit and your tie um, kind of Christianity that was just, uh, you know, this side of the Pharisees, right, back in the first century. Um, so th- this whole movement came out to kind of declare and post, put a big label on rock and roll, call it satanic, and this was one of the big you know songs that oh yeah he's just saying that uh hell is this wonderful place where you can party and all your friends are going to be there and it's it's just awesome and i used to believe that to a certain degree i think that you know i, I heard these guys talking about it and i got kind of freaked out about rock and roll and i thought well, really you know and i started to it, less, these guys influence me on this stuff and Truth be told, you know, I watched this documentary and they called, you know, oh yeah, you know, they talk about this song and ACDC actually means Acid Christ Devil's Child or something like that. It's an acronym. And and so I'm like, wow, really? So later on, <clears throat> I saw a uh, an interview with the band on, on MTV or something like that. And they were asking them about, right, this stuff, the, the satanic stuff, Um there was a serial killer, Richard Ramirez, back in the 80s, who um, was an ACDC fan, and he called himself the Night Stalker after one of ACDC's songs. And so, uh, you know, they got some bad press, and the guys came out and decided to talk about, you know, what really was in their hearts about music like this and uh, and like that song as well. But what what really hit me was first of all um that christians would put out a tape on rock and roll and lie about it because that's not how they got their name it's not acid christ devil's child all right it was actually uh, the ba- on the back of a sewing machine right they're trying to think up a name for the band and and uh i guess angus and the brothers Al- angus and malcolm's like grandma or something like that is making them the like their little the suit that angus wears like he'll wear this it's like a schoolboy kind of uniform looking thing you know the shorts and the tie and the hat and all that and and on the on the back of the sewing machine was acdc right with the lightning bolt and everything because it was an acdc um sewing machine you know electric you know that's power and so they thought cool let's name our band that and as soon as they did um, of course, people came out, and uh, there was trolls, right, back in the uh, back in the 70s, and they came, oh, oh, so you guys are bisexual, is that it? You know, and they, 
they contemplated, it's kind of embarrassing they contemplated changing the name, but they didn't. No, we're going to stick with it. We're going to not going to listen to the trolls. We're going to go ahead and continue with this this name ACDC. Um, so you you fast forward to 1979. That's when that album came out, Highway to Hell. Um man named Bon Scott uh had some issues with with drinking, right? With alcohol, with drugs, and the the band and the success of the band. Um, this was the last album that that man made, um, and it's a sad deal, you know. It's a like an Amy Winehouse kind of a, a thing. There's a lot more data on Bon Scott than there is Amy Winehouse, but this this man was an image bearer of God. All right. I mean, I think that people it's sick to hear people come out and go, "Oh well, you know, Bon Scott, he, he was on the highway to hell, and I guess he got what he wanted, right?" You know, just like Amy Winehouse with the uh, with the song "Rehab." Well, she should have went to rehab, right? She did. She did go to rehab several times. It's a heart issue. You can't stuff this stuff in from the outside. There's a heart issue that needs to be resolved. That needs to be right tweaked that needs to have a new direction and in all of the stuff and that's why you know another passion for me to do this show is that you can stuff in all sorts of information and books and head knowledge in from the outside you don't change the heart you're just like a like a hamster on a on a wheel you know run gerbil run that kind of thing um so going back to bon scott he uh little history on him he moved he was from scotland i guess bonnie scotland so his dad was a musician played in a big bagpipe band bond's parents uh relocated from scotland to melbourne australia um back when he was like six years old uh his name is actually ronald belford right scott um Bon Scott. The reason they called him Bon was because he had kind of that Scottish accent. He went to a, uh, he moved from Melbourne to Sunshine, as like a, or a, I don't know, a little town in Australia, and you know they they called him Bon because he was from Bonnie Scotland. And you're right, his first name Ron changed it to Bon as kind of a nickname, and you know, just interesting things like that. Um, his early career, he was in several just jacked up bands that failed like a bunch of bands like he was singing in different bands that a bunch of them just failed um the valentines was a band that he was in in 1970 that actually had a, a hit uh it made the top five charts in australia every day i have to cry um you know there's all sorts of this this interesting information about people right the biography stuff i just wish i knew more about his story like i I believe that this guy kind of jacked up, right? Bluesy kind of stuff. The music, I mean, dark kind of music. That kind of music that, that kind of music that, uh, right? That that was the rhythm of my soul when I was, you know, just a teenager back in the '80s and trying to figure things out. And I heard this kind of music that, you know, I mean, all the happy poppy stuff really didn't, uh, right? It didn't collide with my heart, but this kind of music did. Because there's there's blues to it, there's hurt to it, there's expressing and and kind of popping that zit of hurt and pouring the pus out a little bit. I'd like to know more about this guy. What where was you know what happened to his dad? Is one of his parents died? Did they get divorced? I mean, why why this kind of music? You know, every day I have to cry.
was the 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 hit that he had. It made the, the local top five in 1970. Um, that song, Highway to Hell, they were asking him about that song, right? Because there was all this, you know, satanic stuff, and Bon Scott's holding a, a tail, and he's got horns in that, the, the album. Um, these guys aren't theologians, all right? I mean, that's one thing that you have to remember. Uh, I heard these guys talking about, you know, the lyrics, and they're going through the lyrics like, you know, like these guys went to seminary or something, and now they worship Satan, so they're twisting, you know, God's word and stuff, and... Really, the premise of the song, from the artist, from the guys who wrote it, was this. This is what Angus said about it. He said that they're just young guys, right, partying, and they had some success. Actually, the way, the way they met Bon Scott was he was their driver, and they had kind of a glam rock kind of dude who was singing for him at the time. They didn't really like that, so they hired Bon Scott, fired that guy, hired Bon Scott, and then they started making hits. Um... But the point is that, right, these guys worked really hard. Once they got a record label, they were forced to work really hard. It took them a lot to get to where they were at, right? And they talked about this song being one of those things that, you know, it was hell. Okay, here's a bunch of guys who just want to party and just want to play their music, and all of a sudden, boom, discipline. Like, you must be disciplined to go out there and do what these guys do. Long way to the top, if you want to rock and roll, is, he said, was kind of along the same lines as Highway to Hell. Um, you know, getting beat up, underpaid, I mean, all the stuff that you go through being in a band. That there, you know, discipline is hard, especially when you have a record company that's breathing out your neck, telling you, putting up, you know, putting you in a van, putting you in a, driving you to cities and and making you work really hard. Highway to hell, and you know, Bon Scott's life ended tragically. Okay, he overdosed in the back of a a '57 Chevy, I guess. He did drowned in a puddle of his own vomit. I mean, it's just sad. It's horrible. It's another Amy Winehouse tragedy. Very talented individual who was taken early. Any any stories I hear of people who are taken by addiction, it, it just bugs, it hurts my heart when talented people fall to, to this kind of thing. I remember my wife was, we, I was reading about Amy Winehouse and I was telling her about it and we're sitting there on the couch and she's like, why don't you stop? <laughs> like what? She's like, well, why don't you stop? You know, you maybe you can read it later, but you know, we're just let's have an evening tonight, and because she knows that this stuff affects me emotionally. I mean, I bother, I'm hurt by it. I could have been me. It actually was me. I I shared the same um, thing that Bon Scott had when I was 16 years old. I actually drank myself to death. All right, I, I died for two minutes. By the grace of God, I'm I'm here. I woke up in the hospital. I don't know if they put paddles on me or what. They cut my clothes off with a big pair of scissors, I guess. Um, I'll tell you the story while I'm here. <laughs> um, I uh, break into my stepfather's house, pissed off at him, right? my They were getting a divorce. That's my second. My, my mom got married my dad, married this guy. He was a jerk, abusive. I don't know. I mean, they had their issues, right? Um so I break into his house because I'm pissed off at him, right? And I steal a bunch of his booze. And 
uh, we, we go on this, right, me and my friends go on this kind of drinking binge. I start doing shots. I get in shot competitions with a couple of different people. I guess earlier in the day, um, I don't even remember this, by, you know, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I was gone to the point of blackout. I actually stepped out of the car at 35 miles an hour. Um, you know, I'm, I'm out of here, you know, I'm mad at my friends, and boom, hit the pavement, and I had all sorts of cuts and bruises on me over that. Um, and then later on that night, we were drinking more and more, and I had drank almost, throughout the day, almost a half gallon of Bacardi. I mean, that's a lot of alcohol, especially for a young 16-year-old body. I mean, I look at my son now. My, my, my son is the age that I was when that happened. It's just, right? I mean, wow, I was like that screwed up, that much of an alcoholic, that young. So I I drink myself to passing out, and my friends take me to my house, and they're just going to, like, they pour me out of the car, literally, and I kind of roll out of the car onto my driveway, and they were going to leave me there, you know, kind of, oh, he's all drunk. And, and my friend Tom goes, no way. I think he's, I think there's blood coming out of his mouth. And I, I started to vomit blood. Um, so you know, just a little bit, but Tom's like, you know what, let's call Fred because Fred will know what to do. Fred was a guy who, uh, another one of our friends, dad, who worked at a tavern, right? So that makes him like a, you know, he was the, we'll, we'll find out what's going on. We'll call Fred. So they call Fred and Fred's like, you better call an ambulance. So they called an ambulance and, uh, I died on the way to the hospital. Um, I was flatlined again for two minutes and. By the grace of God, I'm here. No, I don't remember my near-death experience, by the way. I I started getting into books on that. Because I did feel like something changed in me. Like something was a little different. Something got tweaked a little bit in there. Um, but I didn't remember it. So, you know, I looked into all these books on near-death experiences and stuff like that. Um, a few years later, I got into drugs and started doing amphetamines. There was a little bit of a clean-up time. I really haven't drank hard alcohol like that since that time. Um... But, right, it wasn't my, um, what do you call that, hitting rock bottom. Which, can I say that some, that's just a myth, by the way. If you're waiting for rock bottom, knock it off. There's always worse, all right? There's no such thing as rock bottom where all of a sudden you're going to wake up with this epiphany to, you know, boom, I'm, right? Now I'm going to change my life now that I've hit this point. It's another almost looking for functional hell to save you. What the heart wants, the mind justifies, the will puts into action. There's people, I've heard stories, it's actually in the Redemption book. There was a one woman's story um, where she talked about, you know, looking for rock bottom, like waiting for rock bottom to, to, to fix her. <laughs> I mean, this is not healthy. I married my wife, it was, uh, I was over the drugs, I was over the, you know, at 20, right, I mean, that was my deal, I was like, done, went to recover, I was forced into recovery by the state, that was after the alcohol thing, but I did learn some stuff there, and, you know, smashed my car, I was a coke dealer for a little while, uh, I, not really a dealer, more of a trafficker, I moved cocaine from one city to the other, um, was a middleman, took a cut, I did sell pot for a season. I mean, I just uh, had a jacked up past, all right? Sexual addiction is not my only, right? It wasn't just my only addiction. 
I've been addicted to like everything. Right? Sometimes I wonder if I'm addicted to my smartphone. Right? I have to. But no, I'm gonna put it down. <laughs> my phone. I mean, that just that kind of thing. My heart is so full of energy sometimes. Right? I mean, that's kind of that part of our personality. Maybe I, I don't know. But what I do know is there. There's a lot to this tenth commandment. Right? There's a lot to contentment just just resting it's like a discipline like God in the Bible is saying in this 10th commandment do not covet so that you can be so that you can rest in who you are who I've made you to be where you're at right now with the things you have right now being content with the how your life is unfolding right now and like I talked about in the last show um I'm not going to go into the having time to go into this, but being right, not wasting your disaster. The the beginning right of the the podcast today was a couple arguing on YouTube. I I don't know somebody caught it on their their, their phone. This couples like screaming at each other in the street, right? I mean, this is what we're going through. A lot of us. And, you know, for you single guys, single ladies, this is your future if you don't get this thing sorted out. And it's not just because you may fail in the area of sexual integrity, but not being able to connect. And a big part of not being able to connect is not being able to just be without this energy of covetousness that's constantly, uh, save me from my functional hell. And that's the big part of of conflict in relationships there's going to be conflict in relationships there just is and it can be hell at times i mean for that couple on the street right there like that was hell for them in that little season or is it right what is really hell you know and i prayed about you know having that song and, and highway to hell right and people oh well that's the occult it's not really the occult all right they're just a party rock and roll band this is not satan music so again just relax on that but listen to the what i'm trying to communicate with that song idolatry right this this save me from my functional hell Right, and we're in those situations when life gets tough, when relationships get hard. That is hell, and we automatically hunt for a savior. I know there's a lot of new listeners to Stitcher Radio. I talk about cognitive dissidence a lot. It's something I learned from a professor in Berkeley. Um, basically, cognitive dissidence to to explain that to you is right. Your mind does not like dissidence between two thoughts. Okay. If you have a dilemma like you can get into in these kind of emotionally charged arguments, in the midst of it, you're going to write these two thoughts that are conflicting. You're conflicting with your spouse or your girlfriend or whatever. Um, and there's, how are you going to solve this? Usually it's to protect the self, right? I mean, that's what I do. And that's what I've been really been convicted of over and over again breaking this orbit around myself knocking down my own personal defense attorney that just so wants to rise up and protect me in the midst of a conflict as opposed to really listening to my spouse and trying to figure out where she's at 
so I can understand her. Help me understand is something that I, I say when I can calm my heart. Praying and asking God to bring me the Holy Spirit to help calm my heart in these situations. And it takes time for me to submit, to bend my knee, to even pray that. God, help me. Give me your Holy Spirit in this situation. Let my heart calm to where I can deal with this conflict. Not just deal with the conflict, but love my wife through it, all right? Because it's not really hell, all right? Being in conflict with your spouse isn't hell. There's all sorts of things that aren't hell. But we blow them up to be hell because we're emotionally charged, right, drama type of people who just, ah, I'm in hell. There was a guy, I heard it was, I'm not sure if it was at Mars Hill Church or I can't remember, but there was a guy talking about his wife. Um, his wife died of cancer, right, in her 30s, like late 30s. I mean, that's that's horrible. It's horrible that stuff like that happens. Um, but he was talking about how he would miss, like what he would give to have another argument like blowout argument, the things that he used to just to hate that he thought was like hell back then was like, uh, man, I, what I wouldn't give to be in another dispute like that. How differently would I handle it if I knew that I had, you know, I didn't have to waste all my energy fighting and I could love her through this season in that conflict. Like what would I give for another fight? As bad as you think it is, it can be worse. Jesus talks about hell more than any other person in the Bible, all right? God comes to earth as a man and says, there's a hell, there's a devil that's out there, wants to get you, right? He doesn't make you do anything. He will tempt you. He will hang bait in front of you. He's hoping you'll take the bait, and he wants to bring you to hell. And Jesus is warning people about this constantly. There is a real hell, and it's not always the situation that you're in. The, right, I mean, I got an email from a listener recently, like, is this hell? Talking about being busted in, in his sexual sin and being caught from his wife, and right, this is the sexual integrity issue. I'm just going to go back to an old word, it's sin, all right? I know that people have an issue with that word, oh, that's an outdated word. No, it isn't. It covers a lot of freaking labels. You sit in an addiction group, and my name is Russ, and I'm an addict. You know what? I'm not an addict anymore. I'm not a sex addict anymore. I don't stand there and go, oh, my name is Russ. I'm an addict. I am a sinner, though, to be sure. And God is burning that off me until the day I die. And I'm loved, even though I'm sinful. But I'm a lot less sinful than I was. And, and God is working on my heart, working on these issues, working on my soul. And a big part of me just resting to let him do his work, right? Let the Holy Spirit in to do his work is for me to realize that, for one thing, I'm not in hell. This isn't hell. Let's relax a minute. I mean, do you guys realize a lot of you listen to me right now on some kind of a mobile device or some kind of a, you know, iPod or your iPad or your iPhone or your Android phone or however you're listening to me. You are wealthy compared to most of the world. I mean, a big percentage of the world, I think it's like over half of this world doesn't even have a toilet. I mean, they literally don't have a pot to piss in. And we lament over our lives and go, oh, how horrible it is. 
I mean, it, counting your blessings, there is something to that. And some of you roll your eyes and, oh, yeah, the starving kids in Africa, whatever. No, whatever means yeah, you. You are blessed. You've been given common grace already. The grace of God on your life today. You get up, man. You drink a cup of coffee. You eat breakfast. You go off to your job if you have a job. Do you know how blessed you are to have a job right now if you have a job? But we create for ourselves these functional hells, right? Save me from my functional hell. And instead of turning to Jesus, instead of asking Jesus to come into our heart, instead of asking for the Holy Spirit, we turn to our addictions, we turn to other things, we choose to solve the dissidents with a short-term hit of pleasure. And can I tell you something about short-term hits of pleasure? They just lead to a long-term prison. They keep you locked in a long-term prison. Ultimately, the devil doesn't want to give you pleasure. He'll give you little hits of pleasure to reel you in, right? You bite the, take the bait, you bite the hook, you get reeled into the boat, and he beats you with a club. And I, I realize that some of you are going through real hurt and real pain. And, you know, one guy confessing to his wife and another guy, you know, who's busted in his addiction. And going through that, there's discipline and there's wrath, all right? God gave, put wrath on Jesus. God punished Jesus in your place. God disciplines us as sons because he loves us. That's Hebrews 12:7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? That's from the NIV. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? Um, actually, there's a lot of that in, in our culture here in the States today. And there's psychologists who will actually say, if you don't discipline your children, you don't teach them right and wrong, you, you, know, you don't spend time enough with them to actually discipline them, to say no bad, um, it's, it's a form of child abuse. And some of us may have grown up in houses like where we were neglected. I was, right? I mean, there's seasons in my life where I was just plain neglected. I had to figure things out for myself. And the creator of the universe would come down to love me enough to treat me as a son. It's not wrath. It's not him punishing me. It's not him, right, me cowering in a corner because I'm waiting for dad to come hit me with a stick. You don't run to that father, right? I have friends who, you know, have pasts that aren't as jacked up as mine. <laughs> and there's almost this kind of envy that rises in my heart when I hear them talk about how much they respect their fathers, right? And I respect my dad, I do. Um, you know, I just didn't see him a lot. I mean, my mom and dad got divorced, and, you know, I saw him on the weekend sometimes, and, you know, just it's complicated. But having a dad there that you respect, even when he disciplines you, it's not hell, might feel like hell when you're in it, but it's not hell. Again, like I talked about in the last episode, the blessing, when you look at your life, don't waste your disaster, don't waste this season of trying, of hardship, of trial. Don't waste it. God is treating you like a son because he loves you. 
But then there's other people, right? There's other people in the world. There's other people that we we may respect. There's other people that you know we're in community with that are observing our lives. So conformity plays a big part of this as well. Um, people whose reputations are blown to pieces by sexual addiction, right? By this, you know, your integrity is totally blown out. You know, your vampires exposed to the world. Like this, this guy Anthony Weiner, right? I mean, in New York, he gets busted. He sends out a tweet to everyone on his followers list, and he thinks it's a personal message to this co-ed here in the Seattle area. Sends a picture of himself in his underwear, and he's busted amongst everyone. That can feel like hell as well, right? I mean, that man got fired. He's not no longer working as a senator, um, right? He resigned. It's <laughs> a nice way to do it, but I, you know, I laugh, but it's sad. But at the same time, what are we? How are we going to react? I mean, this man's life was made a mockery out of in the media, and I mean that can be hell as well, right? And yes, I do believe he's a sexual addict, and you hear all these reports, and people don't really get it. You know, oh yeah, he's going to go get treatment. Yeah, he needs treatment. He has a habit. Probably can't break on his own. He needs help. So how do we respond, right? In love with our, not just our spouses, but our spouses' girlfriends and wives and, and our friends. Man, I blew out the church I used to go to. I mean, people thought that I was this person. I exposed what, what how bad it really was. And, and people hated me. I mean, I don't think they hated me, but I mean, that's what came out of them was this kind of, man, this that is horrible. What you did to your wife, what you did to your family. I felt like I was in hell for that season. I still have people that aren't friends with me anymore because of that. But again, if you look at it as a curse, you're going to run from God rather than to him, and you're going to waste this this discipline, right? You're going to waste this disaster that's happened. I heard a kind of a cool quote. I can't remember where it was from. I think it was in a movie. Um, has your life turned to shit? Well, guess what? There's some pretty beautiful things that can grow out of shit. Okay? And there's a lot of truth to that. God's grace, God's love, God's sunlight can change and have you grow out of this mess, out of this disaster, into something more beautiful than you'll even know. You'll grow in your inner life. Your outer life may be falling apart, but your inner life will grow. Your inner self, right? Your, your heart, your soul. Who God actually created you to be. People talk about, you know, in the Christian community, could talk about evangelism, right? You run out and hand out tracts, which I find interesting. You know, the people that live in the suburbs, like they won't live in the city or be around those people, but they'll go, you know, track bomb them. As my friend Matt Chandler would say over there, a pastor that I like down there in Texas, you know, they'll track bomb the, the cities, you know, the slums or whatever, the ghetto, and then they'll run out, you know. That's not evangelism real evangelism, real mission 
you know, missions. You hear churches send people to faraway countries and, and uh, you know, to tell people about the gospel and of Jesus Christ, and right, and they send thousands of dollars. And I think all that's great, and I think it, it should be done. But what about your life and your friends and you in the midst of this disaster, being on mission and realizing that you have an audience? And, and seeing you grow in love and in peace and in patience by not giving up, by not, you know, succumbing to your functional hell, by clinging to love, to God who is love, to Jesus who is God's mission of love in this time and place, in this world. God enters time and space as a man on mission, in the culture, talking to the people. I mean, this kind of Christian judgmental attitude towards culture and music, and I play music like this, and, oh, Russ is all about pop culture. You know, those kinds of attitudes just had all the Christians move out of the cities, right? You read the Bible, it's the book of Ephesus, right? The Ephesians, um, Philippians, Romans, these are cities. God loves the people in cities. God loves rural people too, all right, I know, but in the cities, that's where culture emanates from. And Pastor Mark at my church talks about this. The colleges are in the cities. The newspapers, the journalists are in the cities. The fashion, right, magazines, the fashion people that are creating culture live in the cities, and that's upstream, and everything flows out from the cities. And people that make culture get blown up into these, right, sexual integrity fail and the way most Christians right solve that is to run from the cities well I gotta get out of this cesspool because it's the city's fault no it's not the city's fault you're making culture and a lot of people make culture by not saying anything and just pumping up the surface identity and it's all about the flash and the glitz and the facade nobody gets to see into our inner life until usually some kind of a horrible tragedy like a sexual integrity fail happens. I mean, it all has to do with this functional hell, right? The city is hell, or that thing is hell, and a lot of this is promulgated by, and listen, I love AA, all right? All that stuff is great, but some of the premise of AA I disagree with, like blaming alcohol. You can never drink again because alcohol is the problem. Alcohol is a disease. Alcoholism is a disease. You have a gene. you got to blame that thing. You have a jacked up sinful heart that needs Jesus and you need to realize and be filled with his love and let that flow out of you. That is the real issue, that we need God. We need him. He loves us. He's calling us to himself. As a loving father, we've gone astray and he's pulling us to himself because he loves us. This inner life, right? This this is missions, that you would be in the world but not of the world that you would be in the culture but have a countercultural reaction to the disasters that go on in the world the disasters that may have happened in your own life tim keller is a great pastor in new york presbyterian minister there and i love he had a story about sickness you know when it comes to missions he did a talk on on missions and you know talking to your neighbors and and your you know if you have to go out and do it it's different than just living your life right i mean and talking with people and being honest with people if you if you're sick right if your whole like say your neighborhood is sick and everybody's coughing and wheezing and they can't breathe 
and they they feel horrible um and you have this this cough medicine or something like that that helps clear up that congestion that they have um and you don't share that with people what what is that again the gospel is not religion it's a good news about the story of love it's not you know you promulgating your religion here come to my church here here's a piece of paper i'm gonna knock on your door have you heard about jehovah you know i mean it's not that i don't know that guy first of all right i don't know his life i don't know his kids that's not evangelism i mean that word has been drugged through the mud i mean evangelistic christian i mean it's what that really is is loving people more than yourself loving your wife in the midst of this disaster even though she's freaking out mad at you even though she will sin against you not giving up not succumbing to your functional hell and looking for the functional savior of divorce like so many people do people who call themselves christians in their functional hell of a of a marriage that's falling apart and hurting and there's disease and there's congestion there they see that as hell, so they look for the functional Savior. That's, they don't look to Jesus. They look to religion, or they'll even get into the Bible and say, oh, well, here's how you're not measuring up. I mean, it's disgusting. Jesus even said that to the Pharisees, these guys who are studying the Bible. He says, you study the Scriptures day and night, but you don't see me. You don't see me. Your heart is far from me, Jesus says to them. It's not loving. It's not giving grace. To run from your spouse in the midst of hurt and pain like that. Making love like a man requires being like Jesus, who went through horrific pain for us on the cross. If you call yourself a Christian, you love your spouse like that. That's even in the Bible. Jesus, right? Paul talks about Jesus being married to the church. Ephesians 5 love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, right? I mean, some of you guys have been busted. Some of you guys are working on your sexual integrity issues and football season's coming up, right? Here in the States, football's huge. It's, you know, and there's these wives that call themselves football widows. I mean, the functional savior of football, especially when you have marital situations. It may not just be screaming and yelling. It may just be this distance you feel between you and your spouse, Running to porn to solve that is is not good. It's not loving. And it's not ultimately there's better connection and better sex when you save it and you solve this dilemma, right? You solve this disconnection and you come together. It's makeup sex, right? That, that makeup sex. Isn't that the, the best kind of sex you can have? Isn't it just infinitely better than some dry sexual experience with some person you don't know? or masturbating to porn it's deep connection when we learn how to get over ourselves and love somebody else and the world is gonna look at that and they're gonna judge you and they're gonna right I mean I, I remember the shame of that I mean just feeling like that from other people I'm gonna end the show with this I've gone long um, John 17 I'm gonna tie this all together here John 17, 13 through 19, Jesus is, is praying for us. And, and he says this, and, and I love this. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak 
in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world just as I am not of this world I do not ask that you take them out of this world but you keep them from the evil one they are not of this world just as I am not of this world sanctify them verse 17 in truth your word is truth as you sent me into the world so I have sent them into the world and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth alright Jesus goes to the cross with joy and I talked about that in the last episode that Jesus would go go to the cross with joy and it might have ended that episode and thinking about some of you going, looking at this as a blessing, are you kidding me? This hurts. This feels like hell. You know, the listener who wrote in said, am I in hell? That song, um, Highway to Hell, the beginning, it's like this kind of a, and the people criticize it for being, and, and it, it is, it's bad theology. All right, it really is. The, the, the song, the lyrics to the song, Highway to Hell, um, Hell is not going to be a fun place if you die and go to hell. All right, your friends aren't going to be there. It's isolation. All right, one block, one person. I mean, okay, that's not what the song's about. Um, if I was to change the lyrics, I would say highway through hell. No stop signs, no speed limits. Nobody going to slow me down. Nobody going to break my stride. My friends are going to be there. My real friends are going to be there as I move through hell, through this situation, as I love through hell, as I cling to God through this hellish-like situation. That's not really hell. C.S. Lewis has a great quote that we'll be in heaven looking down at the past of our lives and go, oh, there was really not a problem at all, was there? God's not up in heaven going, what's going to happen to Russ Shaw? Oh my gosh, you know, we need to send out some, some linemen out there, right, to, to play uh, interference, uh, you know. That's not what's going on. God is in control. Don't covet other people's lives. Don't try and find a functional savior through covetousness, right, through wanting what someone else has through, you know, and dwelling on that, letting your heart, you know, your mind roll on it, and, and I wish I was out there. No, you be you in this situation. Realize that you are loved, that God does love you, that he's treating you as a son, and that you also have an audience watching you, and how you're going to define love, and how you're going to define freedom has everything to do with the season that you're going through right now. Jesus paid your dues, right? Not Satan paid your dues. That's in that song. Satan paid my dues, so I'm going to party hard and I'm going to have all fun. And, and it, No, that's, again, bad theology. Jesus paid the debt. And it's like Pastor Matt down there in Texas says a lot. Um, when you realize, again, that God loves you right where you're at, I think that's a big part of the Tenth Commandment, is that we get there in coveting because we don't really believe that He loves us, that He delights in us right where we're at. We 
we keep thinking that God's going to love this future version of us, right? Like God's going to love the future you who has it all together. No, no. He loves you right now, right where you're at, right in the situation you're in. He loves you right there, and he will meet you right there if you talk to him. Not future you, even in our sin. I mean, that's in the Bible. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. I mean, that was such a mind-blowing verse for me. Not all cleaned up me. Me and that jacked-up, shameful thing. When I felt that energy, when I felt that weight, when I felt all the other folks looking at me and my wife and all that pain and shame that landed on me, when I thought about the things that I had done, right, in the most sinful place that you can think of that you did, God was like, I'll take him right there. I'll take him right there. I want that right there. I want him. I don't want what he's doing. I want to save him right there because I love him. That's the truth of the gospel. That's the good news. And when you get that in your heart, that's what you want to share with people. That's what you want people to see. That's what people will see. And I pray that if they ask, you would have the courage to tell them about the hope that lies in your heart and where it comes from. I want to end the show with some quotes by C.S. Lewis, who wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. And that is on the book list. Um, Love is something more stern and splendid than mere kindness. I love that. Those who would most scornfully repudiate Christianity as a mere opiate of the people have a contempt for the rich that is for all mankind except the poor. There's another one. Um, Be sure that the ins and outs of your individuality are no mystery to God. And one day, they will no longer be a mystery to you either. Love C.S. Lewis. So I'll end the show with this. Um, Seeing yourself in a bad situation and wanting out of it is not a bad thing, right? Desiring to move from from hellish situation to a more heavenly situation um, is a good thing, right? It's just how you get there. That is the big deal. Um, God made desire. God made sexual desire. They were his idea. It's... It's the inner life. It's your heart. It's not inner peace, right? This is not some Eastern, put yourself in the lotus position and make noises. This is living out your life on that that heart level, right? Third layer where God meets you. Like Peter said, you know, don't spend all of this energy adorning that outside of yourself, but adorn the inside person of the heart that God so loves and cherishes. Desire is a a good thing, all right? Buddha said if we could eliminate all desire, we could eliminate evil. Not true. Jesus says the thief, the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Right? Desire isn't inordinate, right? Desire isn't unlawful. Covetousness, being desiring something, right? 
that's surface that's not deep enough that doesn't meet your heart that doesn't fix that illness that congestion that's in your heart when it gets in your heart you want to share it you want to talk about it when jesus collides with your heart let's kind of collision right people say well that's when i got saved i remember i was at ac3 and, and people asked me about it and i said you know it was more like a collision that my heart had with the person and the work of jesus christ i didn't right it wasn't an emotional thing you know for me, when I was younger, I, I believe the Holy Spirit was doing some work on me when I went up for the altar call and all of that, and this emotional, with all the tears coming down. But when I was in my 30s, and I was dealing with this situation, and the hellish consequences of it, is when God collided with my heart. And what burst forth was love, Right? I read a book called The Purpose Driven Life and found out that my life has purpose and meaning and it's not all existentialism, right? And I, and I started this podcast. Um, John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave his son. I mean, you see that. You're going to see it in football season, alright? Let me put a little uh, subliminal mind notification on you when you watch football this season when you see that John 3:16 remember that that is love God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son who moved through hell who took the highway through hell to save us and when we can love our spouse like that we can eliminate this desire for you know this functional savior and we can do a lot to eliminate divorces from happening. Not that you might not, I mean, you still may be divorced. But even in that, glorifying God through that pain. Most people get divorced because they only think of themselves. Because they want to save themselves from their functional hell by running from, rather than to God. And running from their spouse because of the pain that's flowing out of them rather than to them with aid with the medication to clear up the congestion in the heart John 3:16 God so loved the world okay love you guys my name is Russ Shaw this has been ASI247.org when you learn that when you stop looking at the dirty world and wanting to blame things on the outside when you start looking at your own heart realizing that you know, it's you that needs some change, that all of the problems and the issues that are pouring out of your life right now have to do with how you have defined love and freedom. I also realize that there's some of you in the sound of my voice who are afraid to commit, right? Afraid to get married. You've been living with your girlfriend for a long time. And if you're really honest with yourself, if you're really honest with your heart, there's some kind of freedom there, some kind of superficial, functional savior freedom that's going to save you from the hell that if you get married, it's all going to fall apart, right? That's not necessarily true. If you learn how to make love like a man, or define love like a man, define freedom like a man, 
and be able to get over yourself and love another person. Invest in them, not just emotionally, but with your heart and your mind and your will, right? That's what marriage is. You get married and you enter into covenant till death do us part in sickness and in health, for better or for worse. That is a picture of God's relationship with us through Jesus. Covenant, right, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse. That's the truth. When you realize that, you can make love like a man. All right, my friend Jeff Fisher uh, shared this song with me. I love Jeff, man. He's an ex-pastor. He knows some of this stuff. He does another podcast called Porn to Purity. Um, if you want to check it out, go do a search for that. Um, some great resources on his website as well. He does another great podcast. And I uh, love Jeff Fisher, man, just for talking about another guy who went through uh, his highway through hell. All right ex-pastor blown up fired from his job they found stuff on his computer the guy has a great story um, again check him out at porntopurity.com so from a request a, a bumper request right by my friend Jeff here is uh, Def Leppard make love like a man you single guys listen to this tune and before you enter into relationship try and love with, with this kind of energy with this kind of attitude all right attitudes of sexual integrity visit the website man if you like the show please leave a donation all right um, really really appreciate that as keeping this thing alive costs money um, the demand for this mission trip that I make on the internet with every episode. The demand is staggering at times, but again, it's that good kind of pain. So go to the website ASI or ASI247.org if you'd like to, to donate or send me an email or sign up for the Twitter feed. Um, Till next time, so I'll continue to challenge you with this embrace this season even if it's painful and listen get this attitude inside you get this kind of motivation inside you that you would make love like a man all right till next time bye make love like a man i'm a man that's what i am Like a man make a feel that good